Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director PR Week, going to guide you gently through the show. Um, really crazy busy show this week, lots going on in the worlds of PR and just generally in society. So really looking forward to chatting with our guest, Soon-Mi Kim, who's Chief Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Officer at Omnicom PR Group. And uh, really terrific to have you on the show, Soon-Mi. Welcome and uh, looking forward to chatting. Thank you so much, Steve. I'm so thrilled to be here. And hello to Frank. Yeah, there, there, there you go. Well, good segue into Frank Washkirk, who's my regular co-host, who's also joining us. How are you doing, Frank? Well, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. So, I mean, glad to have you on this week. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. So we're going to chat to Soon Me, and then we will talk about some of the stories this week. We can't cover them all because there's so many, but we'll talk about this whole Volkswagen, Volkswagen, shall we say fiasco? Yeah, let's say fiasco. And April Fool's activities generally. We'll talk about Delta, which is looking for a new PR firm and, of course, has done a bit of a flip-flop on the Georgia voting issue. We'll talk about AI, a bit of a clutch of stories this week um, about brands using AI in their activations. Uh, Ogilvy UK CEO Michael Froelich, he's moving to Weber. That's quite a significant uh, change over there. And then Publicis, another rumour about um, acquisition or mergers with Vivendi, which is the owner of uh, fellow French holding company Havas. So uh, interesting one there. And uh, we'll find out more about that. But let's start with you, Soon-Me. Chief Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Officer. That's a relatively new role at Omnicom PR Group. When did, how long have you been in post and, and how's it shaping up? Sure, Steve. So yes, I, I came into my role um, in the middle of September 2020 um, from Porto Novelli, where I was uh, the global leader of diversity, equity, inclusion there. And so, yeah, it's been it's been a good experience. I'm really happy to be a part of the Omnicom family and the great collaboration that's happening across the board from a diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective. Yeah, that was a new role, wasn't it? No, it wasn't a new role. You were taking, uh, you were taking over from, uh, you're filling big shoes, weren't you? So tell us a bit about that and, and what, what what you what strategies you're implementing yeah actually it it is a new role um oh yeah no no worries um so throughout um omnicom um we have a lot of different networks and um and agencies and so yes specifically for the public relations group um i'm over that group and yeah that is a new role for us so the tiffany warren role before is that role has that been replaced and is that uh is that a different type of role yes yes so that is at the um the holding company level and that role has been filled by uh uh, emily graham who is yes yes and so she's such a dynamic leader we're thrilled to have her um in that uh, capacity all right, so Barrett is displaying uh, what 12 months of COVID does to a brain. <laughs> I, knew, I knew all that, but I just didn't uh, didn't express it. But yeah, no, Emily but, terrific. And uh, yeah, she, she is. And I do want to just mention you are you're right on Tiffany Warren's uh, shoes are big shoes to fill. And um, we're all certainly um, in 
gratitude for her leadership and yeah. uh, yes, taking on the mantle here. She's over at Sony now. So, so obviously, you know, this year has been unprecedented on so many levels, but in, especially in terms of diversity, equity and inclusion. How have you approached the role? You've done your first 90 days and we'll get into talking about the anti-Asian hate attacks that we've seen on the rise, especially recently, but over the past year and even long, longer before that. But, uh, you know, what, what, what's after you, you've done your 90 days and you've got your feet under the table, what are, the, what are your priorities? Yeah, so I would say the first things that we did was really, you know, <clears throat> make sure that we had a good understanding of our, you know, organizations overall, where we're at, making sure that we are, um, have good, you know, benchmarks that we are measuring ourselves against and holding ourselves accountable. Um, but it's also looking at what diversity means within our organizations at um, the Omnicom Public Relations Group. And so for us, diversity is um, a moral imperative as well as a business imperative. And we know that it's good for business as well. We know that um, the research shows that the more diverse and inclusive organizations are, uh, where everyone is valued, we perform better on every measure. Further, we aim to be an anti-racist group of entities where we're really driving systemic change. So we're really looking at all of um, the aspects of what we do. So certainly recruitment, retention, advocacy, um, the way that we look at supplier diversity, um, how we mentor and sponsor others. I mean, really looking at this in a 360 view. Um, And then finally, what we know is that Together, um, as part of Omnicom and the Omnicom Public Relations Group, we know that we can recognize scale when we're working in concert. So um, through our learning and development and everything that I mentioned earlier, you know, we really do aim to be the change that we seek. How will that filter down through the actual PR shops? Because Emily's obviously moved up from Fleischmann. You've moved up from Porter. Um, will those roles be replaced? Have they been replaced? And how will it, how, what will the trickle down effect be? Yeah, there's a great leadership team at, at Fleischman. Um, currently, uh, Wei Wen Choi uh, Wiles is uh, serving as the interim um, chief diversity um, officer, and they've got a great team there uh, supporting um, the efforts. Uh, very serious about that. Ketchum has a new leader in Lindsay Wagner. Um, also, Porter Novelli has Susie on serving as the Justice, Equity, Diversity, Inclusion leader. Um, and then and across our other agencies, we've really been building the infrastructure with really great representation um, you know, from folks within talent at, as well as um, client leaders. And one of the things that people often say is that, yes, diversity, DEI officers, terrific, but you need to really get true diversity across you know senior leadership in the agencies as well so how are you making that happen and and, and how, how how can you make that happen it's not something that happens overnight is it uh yeah i mean you're right the diversity um needs to the representation needs to be across the board um it can't just be um at the you know, beginning of the talent life cycle because if we only start there um it'll be a generation before we have folks at the senior levels so 
Uh, we have to be really, really aggressive in the, you know, certainly in the early stages, but we can't ignore the middle as well as the the top. And I'm proud to say we've got some really fantastic leaders, um, people of color that have um, been named to very important positions um, at those levels. So I can speak to Neera Chaudhry, who is the president of North America at Ketchum, um, as well as at um, uh, MMC, Marina Mar Communications. They have put some fantastic people in leadership positions um, as yeah, well. Right. Exactly. And then also Amy Anzanti in the chief strategy officer role um, earlier this year, we saw, or earlier last year, um, sorry, that's not correct. <laughs> uh, middle part of last year, uh, we saw Ayanna Robinson move into the chief um, client officer role at Porter. So we've seen some really great um, senior appointments and that's just part of it. Um, even if not in the executive suite um, in the very senior roles, we've seen some great progress. Yeah. Now, I'd, uh, you know, Stop AAPI Hate has reported that there were 3,800 attacks over the past year um, on uh, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. And, that, and we know that attacks are underreported. So that's, mm-hmm. that number is probably uh, under what the reality is. How do you feel as an Asian American woman, but also as just someone looking at this and looking at these horrific, horrendous incidents, um, and what 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 must we do about it? And what is business and brands' role in in responding to this? Wow, that's a big question. It is a big question. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many elements to just what you shared. So first, let me just start with thank you. Um, your blog post recently um, did such a you know, thorough job of explaining a little bit more of the history of what, what has been going on. You're exactly right. This is not new, but it is certainly heightened. Um, We've seen it, you know, prior to COVID. We've seen it all throughout COVID and we're continuing to see it now Um, and it doesn't stop. Um, You asked me how I feel about this as an Asian American woman. You know, I'm, how I feel about it is I believe it's open season on our community. Um, I'm, I'm going to get a little bit emotional here, but I'm, I'm afraid I'm afraid for my family members, even if it's not even for me directly, because I have the um, the privilege of doing a lot of my work from home. So I don't necessarily have to be out a lot. Um, but that's not true for a lot of people, including my own family members. And, you know, I'm I sit here in Atlanta and of course we had the horrific shootings um, and I heard um someone recently speak the names of the victims and sometimes when you read the names you know because asian names can be you know spelled um in a variety of ways um it may not hit you but as i listen to someone you know pregnant uh correctly pronouncing you know the names of the victims what actually kind of shook me was that two of the names um they're actually my sister's names yeah so, I mean, it just shows, you know, we don't know um, from where these attacks could come from. You can be, um, you know, walking down the street um, on your way to church, um, like uh, most recently in um, New York uh, this past weekend, and yeah. you can get violently stomped, unprovoked. So we don't know where these things are, can come from. Um, and I was, you know, I was getting my hair done in um, the Koreatown part of 
um, the city not too long ago. And um, it's the first time I had my haircut actually in about five months, but um, I'm sitting there and I'm kind of looking at the door and I'm just thinking like, wow, if someone were to come in this door and start shooting, where would I go? It's just terrible that anyone has to think like that. And also it's terrible that you, you know, yes, you you have the luxury of working from home, but you shouldn't have to feel like that anyway, should you? You shouldn't have to feel like, well, at least I don't have to go out much, you know, and I think um, many people feel that and feel like they can't go out in the evenings, et cetera, et cetera. So, and when you hear the sort of response from one of the police officers talking about the shooter, it's just like, that's just not okay. You know, and it was not the shooter having a bad day there. It was the people who were killed and injured and uh, who, who have to then, uh, and the community afterwards. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it's a, it's a big problem. And, Getting to the business and, you know, the, the piece that we talk about a lot on PR Week and that you are involved with a lot at Omnicom is about brands and businesses stepping up and making statements about social issues and um, and their, their employees kind of expecting them to. You know, we, this is a, a busy week in, in terms of the Derek Chauvin trial has started in Minneapolis. We're coming up to the, the anniversary of George Floyd's death, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of conversation about this. Many people are reflecting business business made lots of big statements around those events. Uh, you know, they went dark on social, did things like that, but also made some other big statements. Did they deliver on the promises and are they are they doing enough? This is probably sorry. This is another big question. Are they doing enough uh, to respond to the anti-Asian hate in, incidents? And, and is there any sort of trust in, in business doing actually doing anything beyond making making statements? Yeah, so I'll start with the, you know, the anti-Asian hate, you know, it took a long time for a lot of businesses to even kind of recognize what was going on. I mean, we didn't see media really covering this um, too much, you know, despite, you know, what was happening. And we many of us in the kind of Asian Asian American community were like, can we get just get folks to just build some awareness that this is happening? Can we reach out to media to please cover this? And so um, there were a lot of efforts on that front. But then you know, with the the shooting in Atlanta, um, all of a sudden, I think there was you know certainly more awareness. Um, but it hasn't been enough. I mean, I saw that video that, uh, you know, that we were just talking about. um, And I felt sure that, wow, people will be outraged. This will be a really big deal in the morning. I expect to see this trending on Twitter. And I didn't see it anywhere. I saw um, Jim Acosta getting vaccinated trending. Um, I saw, you know, any number of other things, but I'm like, wow, this isn't even, if you're not following, let's say an Asian influencer or someone who's, you know, sincerely interested in what's going on, you wouldn't know that this, a woman got sincerely, um, like, like, sorry, seriously just stomped with bystanders watching. I mean, it's horrific. Um, so even video evidence just, you know, just for me was like, wow, it's, um, definitely triggering, but it's also like, what does it take? What does it take? So your question about what do businesses do? 
um, you know, the first part of that is sure, we have to build awareness. Um, I think we still have to even prove our humanity, our common humanity, that we are real people with real pain when we are spat at and attacked and um, that, yeah, there are real humans being, um, that have real feelings, real pain um, behind that. And what I would like to see from the business community is more, um, the statements are not enough. I mean, in the beginning, when I started to see the statements, I would just I, I individually reach out to folks and say, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate this. Um, but it is definitely more than statement time now. Yeah, it's 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 terrible. Um, but and that came up in the yeah. Well, this is a whole another podcast about what people should do when they see an incident like this. And you certainly would hope that someone who's working as a security guard in a building would would do something. But um, yeah, one of the witnesses in the Chauvin trial destri- described watching on and feeling so powerless and feeling that if they did try to intervene, they would have potentially ended up in the same boat but that that's not the same as this incident you're talking about where you know it was a a a person you know a a civilian who was attacking the 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 uh, asian woman so yeah it's uh, it's terrible just to to finish on this soon me what do you want to see you know if we're looking at this 12 months on and and it's reflecting on it in the same way we are a little bit with the george floyd incident what would you like to see and and what would you like to how are you coaching clients at Omnicom, you know, to respond and, and, and try and make change in, in, in a really effective manner. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. So, you know, specifically um, as it relates to the ways that organizations were um, responding to um, the killing of George Floyd. Yes, very um, important statements were made. Um, there was a lot of conversation around um, this recognition that systemic um, change needed to occur. Um, there was uh, you know, money um, donated to very important causes. Um, but here we are, almost one year later, we, as I will quote my good friend Conroy Boxhill at, at Porter Novelli, um, show me the receipts. 2021 is the year of the receipts. And my hope is that all of, um, you know, our organizations that care for, you know, humanity have been collecting those receipts all along, that we've taken the time to um, take that reflection that we have, um, we saw a lot of folks talking about, that they were listening and they were learning, um, and and that now that there is something to show for it. Um, so, you know, what I would advise anyone um, and, and our clients surely is that, you know, consider this, um, this time that's coming up. If you have not worked on anything already, please make progress on that. Um, c- yeah. Consider this um, a time period where our folks, if they haven't already, our people internal and external to our organizations, our important stakeholders, they will be asking and they should. Um, there should be no gap between what we say and what we do. Yeah, that's a great line. Show me the receipts. And I think you know, one one positive element is I do think young people they will they will insist on seeing the receipts, and they 100%. will hold they will hold organisations, politicians, and society to account. And uh, I think that is a that's a positive uh, development for sure. And um, yeah, you know, thanks for talking about it. I know it's not an easy topic, and um, it's one we will 
uh, keep covering at PR Week for sure. Um, Frank, let's get into the stories because it's been a crazy busy week um, in terms of PR or communications or branding related stories, starting with this crazy Volkswagen, Volkswagen, April Fool's Day prank or was it or was it real? Talk, talk us through it. Uh, well, it's it's an April Fool's Day prank for now, and unless they change their mind again, and I guess that that remains to be seen. But I, I do want to say first, I'm, I'm kidding around for a second, but Sumi, thanks for coming on, and thanks for your perspective because this is this is really important, and I think a lot of people need to hear what you're saying. So thank you for for doing that. Um, okay, Volkswagen. So um, basically, Volkswagen published or appeared to publish a month too early a press release saying that it was going to rebrand its U.S. division as Volkswagen, V-O-L-T-S, like as a nod to electric cars and sustainability. And so um, that appeared to leak on the website more than a month early, and it was dated April 29th, maybe to make it not look like an April Fool's Day joke. And after uh, people reported on it and there were questions about this, uh, the company insisted that it was uh, not an April Fool's Day joke and they were going to go ahead and rebrand their U.S. division in this way. That was Monday. A day later, uh, the automaker comes out and says, well, look, it actually was meant to be an April Fool's Day joke. So... um, This is one of those things that might seem funny to some people, but a lot of uh, reporters, auto reporters, business reporters uh, who cover Volkswagen were really upset and rightfully so because they were completely took by the organization who you have to trust in a case like this, saying that it was not an April Fool's Day joke and then reported that only then to have to go back and update or correct themselves uh, a day later. And um, and this is according to a CNN story. I mean, there's some speculation out there right now that this could lead to some securities issues uh, for Volkswagen because there were stock analysts who took what they said very seriously and, um, you know, put out analyst reports and things like that. But also that the stock started to trade up uh, based on this fake release that they insisted uh, was a real release. And so it's it's one of these things where you, you just wonder whether it was Volkswagen or it was an external agency that did this. And, and it seems to me it's likely in-house. But you, you just have to wonder what the hell they were thinking because you're just, you're, you have to have a trusting relationship to a certain extent with the reporters that cover a company and the reporters that cover a company have to believe you and what you're saying uh, or they won't talk to you anymore. And they completely just blew this up. And so it's hard for me to ever figure out how a company like Volkswagen on the heels of the whole emission scandal that they had a couple of years ago would think that this was a good idea in any way. And I think on a, on a very personal one-to-one level, there's going to be a lot of fallout for a long time with the reporters who cover this company uh, and the people that work in media relations for the company. It's a, it's a huge screw up on their part. Yeah, because, you know, the Chevy Volt was an electric car from GM, wasn't it? So I guess you could have looked at it seriously. Um, but uh, to your point about 
whose fault it is. I mean, at the end of the day, it has to be signed off by the client. So look, course, we've, got yeah. some, we've got some extra reporting, uh, which isn't quite ready yet. So we can't really talk about it, but hopefully we'll be able to shed some more light on that about the, you know, the, the who, where and when. But uh, yeah, it's crazy stuff, really. I mean, soon me from the PR point of view, you know, last year, everyone pretty much decided, look, let's not do April Fool's Day things. It's not right with COVID raging throughout the country, people dying in massive rates. And there must have been a similar conversation this year. And, you, and I think people have sort of done a few things, but, you know, in general, have shrunk away from it. What, what do you think of what do you think of the Volkswagen thing? And what do you think of April Fool's Day stunts generally? Yeah, Steve, gosh, if anyone needs a laugh, um, (laughs) you know, I think we all do. But gosh, I'll tell you, like, just this week alone, where my attention has been on is the final few days of International Women's Day slash month. It has been on International Trans Day of Visibility that was last year. It's the start of the Derek Chauvin trial that started this week. Um, It is the continuation of the um, hate uh, levied against the Asian Pacific Islander community. It is about the you know voter suppression laws that we we see um, taking place. So this has not been on my radar. And I would say for anyone that um, you know that's focused on this, I'm like I'm concerned because um, I think you have to read the room. Um, you know, kind of recognize like that people are hurting across you know our, our so many communities. And my other concern would just be from the perspective of, um, you know, the issue of like fake news, um, real fake news is serious. I mean, that is truly impacting people's lives. It is impacting, you know, again, these legislative issues. And so um, my, my recommendation to anyone is like, hey, read the room. And I'm concerned like that April Fool's Day is, you know, every day. Yeah, park it, park it for an evening and come back in the morning, you know, like with an email that you want to send to someone. <laughs> totally agree with you. Uh, really good points, especially on that fake news thing. You, you're absolutely right. So, yeah. Frank, on having said that, did you have any uh, gut-wrenching laughs at some of the pitches that were sent to you for April Fool's Day? Can't say I did this year, Steve. <laughs> do you any year <laughs> sometimes i mean i mean occasionally there's there's something i find uh really funny I'm Mildly <laughs> struggling to think of one at the moment but uh occasionally there's one i really enjoy but i i didn't really I, i'm just not into it this year i mean to me there's there's uh a lot of people are still struggling whether that's you know you know at work and sorting out you know work-life balance and food insecurity and all of these and there are a lot of people still out of work and i i don't know it, it still seems to me like uh an april fool's day joke by a company is like a little too eager to get out of a crisis that we're still in yeah and they did that racist stand last year so i mean they're, they keep putting their foot in it so um yeah the, this one wasn't an april fool but the can lions organization put out a, a release didn't they about what the virtual in-person show will be like at the Festival of Creativity this year. And then uh, in a great piece of timing, uh, later in the day, the France um, Emmanuel Macron locked down the whole country again because of COVID. So you're like, um, this is only three months away and uh, you're expecting us all to travel to the south of France. 
Yeah, I don't. I'm just not sure companies should release any important news for like maybe the week before or after, uh, you know, April Fool's Day, because there's there's just this second guessing of anything a company says, and and especially to can. Uh, let's be honest, a lot of their plans seem, shall we say, very optimistic, uh, considering the news out of France and Europe in general and, and everything with COVID. So, um, you know, I think a lot of people did do a double take with the, with the can news. For sure. Yeah, I feel for them because I know, you know, they, 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 it's their business and, they, and we, we faced the same thing. We faced it last year when we had to postpone our, PR, our biggest event of the year, you know, just 10 days before, but sometimes you've got to make hard decisions and uh, I suspect one is coming up on that front. Let's talk about Delta Airlines, Frank. Um, there's, uh, they're looking for a new PR firm, but of course they've also been in the news this week with the, uh, the flip-flop on the Georgia voting that soon me uh, mentioned earlier. Yeah, and let me tackle this in two uh, separate sections. Um, so they're looking for a, a PR agency to help with consumer lifestyle and tech media relations, working with influencers, in those spaces. Now, they will stress that this is not a, an AOR relationship. They are just bringing on a firm for uh, media relations. And a lot of this is is driven by the pandemic and is the story they're trying to tell is focused on the changes that they uh, have made because of the pandemic. And that they are, I- instead of trying to go back to the way things were before the pandemic, uh, they are sort of you know, pushing this this narrative that they are, you know, sort of a stronger, more compact kind of company than they would have been uh, than they would have been before. So that is uh, the agency search that they're doing. Totally different subject, though, and I think a really important subject is this voting law in Georgia that was just signed into law last week, um, and what it does essentially, is it makes it harder to vote in a lot of different ways. And it has some parts that are even almost silly, where like you, you're criminalizing, uh, giving somebody food or water while they're standing in line to vote. Um, the leaders of let's Delta, Coca-Cola, other Georgia-based companies have, you know, very recently, and by very recently, I mean, in like the past uh, we're recording this on Thursday morning. So the past like 16 hours have come out very strongly against this law. That was not the case earlier in which they were, they were taking a more of a middle of the road approach and saying, you know, well, we're happier with it. Once it got into the legislative process and some improvements have been made, uh, you know, and things of that nature. But now in the face of organizations saying that they would boycott companies like Coca-Cola and Delta who are based in Atlanta, um, you know, they've reversed course and have taken a really strong stance. The elephant in the room with all of this, I think, is that we all know, and this has this has been shown to be true a million times, that there are voting precincts uh, in African-American districts where people have to stand in line for, for seven or eight hours. And it's a much more strenuous process than it is in, in other districts. And it's much more difficult to vote. And... Um, you know, look, personally, I don't think there's any reason at all any state should be making it more difficult to vote. We know that there is no uh, widespread voting fraud, you know, affecting elections, despite what, you know, anybody's uncle or aunt might have found on the Internet someplace. Um, and, and there's no reason to be restricting voting rights uh, in, in this nature. And it's good to see these companies come around to it. But I think a lot of people and soon me, you mentioned keeping receipts earlier, are going to remember that they were not 
taking that strong of a stance to begin with all the way through this process. Yeah, Sunmi, you're based in Atlanta. What's your take on it? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so I, I'm listening to you intently, Frank, and I. what you don't see is me, you know, um, nodding my head vigorously uh, because I know, I know what those experiences are. They're very different um, based on where you reside of what your voting experience is like. I mean, it shouldn't be such that um, people need to bring food and water uh, because you're in line for so many, you know, long, long hours. I mean, you know, it's, it's honestly silly um, that we have, that it's easier to purchase a gun than it is to vote, you know? Um, So anyway, I'm probably getting a little bit more political than um, folks uh, would like me to be, but I have to um, just recognize that, you know, our business community is so important. I've heard many people speak to, um, you know, the business community as that fourth branch of government um, that really can offer those, you know, checks and balances where, you know, they may not exist as strongly as they need to be. Um, there's so much evidence out there, so many different agencies. I know, um, Porter Novelli has one that just says that we expect brands to take a stand. It's so important to do so. Um, So, you know, Delta, Coca-Cola, they're venerable um, companies within, um, you know, my backyard. I know that um, no one can really go back in, you know, a time machine, but please, like, uh, you know, I think it's so important for all organizations to stand up to injustice when we see it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, we could come I in mean, as a whole other show in the uh, allegations of voter suppression and all the rest of it. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it's tricky. Look, it, it's not easy weighing in on social issues. And some feel that's why companies shouldn't do it, you know, but others and the sort of what things like the Edelman Trust Barometer say are that, that actually people want uh, companies and brands to do it. And actually they want, especially employees want to. So yeah, and we've talked about that a lot and we'll continue to. Frank, let's talk about AI. You've often speculated that robots are taking over the world. And in fact, you and I will be replaced by robots very soon. Um, But we happen to have done a clutch of stories on brands using AI. And and there's some skepticism about whether there's real applications. We've got an op-ed coming from Mark Wiener from Cognito about it um, next week. But uh, talk us through these case studies. I might even before the robots taking over. I, I won't say it publicly in case they're listening. And we know well, they you, are. Well, um, mate, you could be a robot. I mean, <clears throat> to me, you're could a, little, a little blob on this uh, screen here. So. <laughs> you never know. Um, one one I really want to highlight here in this AI roundup uh, is what Clorox did, because I think it shows how this technology is really useful. Um, so y- you have to go back to last March when you remember like the toilet paper hoarding and the clean up, cleaning product hoarding that was going on in the early days of the pandemic. And Clorox essentially started using uh, IBM's Watson, IBM Watson advertising conversations, this machine learning and natural natural language processing tool to sort of listen to what consumers were talking about to figure out what they actually need. Um, and then they have been running this program based on that to address the questions. And I think this is this is really useful. I would imagine it can be very difficult to sort out the chatter on social media and figure out what is real, what are people joking about, you know, what is a dire need, et cetera, et cetera, uh, going forward. And I'm sure they're all working on that. And maybe that's a pain point for them. Um, but a cool campaign. 
So, so kudos to Clorox on that. Um, so where does machine I'll... learning end and AI start? I think Mark Wiener's supposition is that you still need human involvement and uh, that that's why we won't be replaced by robots. But anyway, more to come on that. Yeah, yeah, great point. Okay, um, Avocados from Mexico is uh, trying out something called Avocado Nation. Sign me up for that. Uh, it's an AI platform designed to fuel engagement and brand loyalty for the brand. And um, they have used this also to create content, as Clorox was doing. Uh, they've compiled more than 70 videos with creators for for uh, citizens of Avocado Nation, uh, shall we say. Uh, another one is this... Um, Profit, PR in caps, the MDC technology that they launched. They have started working with Ironman, which is the endurance race company uh, for people who are much better swimmers than I am. Um, and they, uh, Ironman is a longtime, uh, longtime client of Quitkin. And of course, Quitkin's uh, former CEO, Aaron Quitkin, is now running Profit. Uh, for MDC. So, um, you know, as these things evolve, and I think as more agencies get into this comms tech space, uh, it's going to be interesting from like a case study perspective to see what they're really, uh, what they're really getting out of it and what these technologies have really helped them do. Um, So I think that's something we'll all be watching in the future for sure. We definitely will. And we'll be watching it on a dashboard daily product, which you're just about to give a plug for, Frank. I, you beat me to it, but it's terrific. It's a daily product. Look, uh, you should sign up for it and look for it just before noon every day, helping you with the difficult comms tech decisions uh, that are out there. Yeah, and we're looking for your stories for that as well. Dashboard at PRWeek.com. Just a couple of quick agency stories to finish, Frank. Um, Ogilvy UK uh, CEO Michael Frolick, he's moving to Weber for an EMEA role, which is a bit of a blow for Ogilvy, I would say. It's an impressive hire for Weber, though, I would say, because uh, he, he really well thought of um, was the top Ogilvy UK uh, exec. And, and, you know, a weird time for Ogilvy, shall we say, as they, uh, you know, dropped everything back into the Ogilvy brand. And now we know they're sort of doing the opposite, you know, building the health brand out and the PR brand back out uh, and things like that. I think that's um, this will be looked at as a bit of an eye raising um, higher for Weber. Um, also, yeah, because he, he ran the whole of the business, not just the PR right. business, whereas he's returning to a, a larger geographic role, but a pure PR role at Weber. Although Correct. They, they Correct, yeah. PR, of course. Yeah, yeah. We always have to clarify with Ogilvy because it's, it's you know, Ogilvy versus Ogilvy PR in this case. Yeah. Okay, also across the pond, really uh, interesting speculation here about the future of Publicis Group. Uh, which is the owner of PR firms like MSL and CAC CNC. And it's whether Vivendi, the French media giant, uh, would try to take over Publicis. And I think what's really interesting about this is we know that Vivendi also owns Havas. And then, you know, that that raises all kinds of speculation about how would these two networks work together? Would they work together? What would it look like for who would report to who and, um, you know, onward? down the line. So um, it's a really interesting report from a French TV business, business TV network, BFM TV, uh, that said that for several weeks, the two groups uh, held talks, uh, but ultimately were rebuffed uh, by publicists. 
So it's a, it's it's some really interesting uh, business speculation here. Uh, we love stories like this as journalists. We they, do. Publicis has denied it, of course, but uh, this is the second story. Our colleague in the UK, Gideon Spanier, the editor of Campaign, uh, wrote a story about them talking to a private equity firm uh, before in before uh, in, in at the back end of last year, and they furiously denied that as well. So there's two stories that they furiously denied, and interestingly, both of them have led to their share price increasing. So. And there is funny how that happens. Yes, indeed. Um, I, if I didn't know better, I would I would think there was uh, something to that, but I won't yeah. I won't go there. Yeah, I think if you remember, they tried to merge with Omnicom uh, a few yeah. years ago, and that was that didn't work. But if if they did merge with another French company, it would be easier on the regulatory front. I think the French authorities would look more kindly on that, certainly. So, but uh, but anyway, they they totally denied it, so it's not happening. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Frank. Great roundup. And thank you, Soon Me, for joining us. Really um, enjoyed chatting to you and um, great insights. And um, looking forward to seeing what you do at Omnicom PR Group. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Frank. It was wonderful to be with you. Just a couple of customer service announcements. We've got another Clubhouse show every Monday night at 7 Eastern. We have the Markoms Club, which is across PR Week and Campaign. This Monday, we're talking to Richard Edelman, a far side chat. So that will be a good one. Uh, do join us for that. And uh, PR Week Connect is our big global event, which uh, takes uh, all four regions, content from all four regions ending in the US. We've got Mark Reed from WPP on our um, content front. We've got Corey DeBrower from Google. We've got execs from Mattel, J&J, and many more. That's April 13th. Agency Business Report, it's your last chance to get your agency into our rankings tables. So please reach out to us if you haven't received the form and you want to be on those tables. And uh, look out for the Hall of Fame launch next week. So that's coming out on Tuesday, one of my favorite uh, launches of the year. And uh, as I said, sign up for Dashboard Daily. But that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.